When I was a kid, I had the opportunity to go to a baseball clinic at the University of Michigan, and usually there were a lot of Detroit Tigers there that would give you different advice. But this one clinic, they brought in a guy from Los Angeles, a Los Angeles Dodger named Bill Russell, not the basketball player, the shortstop, okay? So, and he made a statement, though, at this baseball clinic that I'll never forget. And he just said this. He said, never, never give up in a slump. Just keep on keeping on. Keep on trying. Keep on going. And I think that has a lot of application. It had a lot of application for my short-term baseball career. It has, I think, even more application for my life. And I say that because all of us go through times of struggle. I remember being at the seminary. It was the fourth year, and you had to do this exit interview with a psychologist. They told me it wasn't just me that had to do this, right? So I'll pretend that's true. So anyway, they, it was in there talking to the psychologist, and, and he was just saying, you know, he, he needed me to understand that there's a difference between struggle and failure. And I think that's a hard concept for a lot of us to, to really work through because the struggle is just a part of life. It's part of what we deal with in anything. We experience it at work. We experience it in relationships. We experience it as we try to lose weight. We, we experience it in all sorts of different ways as we go through life. But it's not failure until you give up. And so life can get complicated and life can get hard and life can be difficult and that's struggle as we struggle to get to the other side of it. But because so many people, I think, forget or don't know that there's a difference between struggle and failure. They give up and they cement that failure in their life. And so the statement, never give up in a slump, is huge. And I say that because we all go through ups and downs. Everybody has their off days. Maybe you've had an off week or an off month. Sometimes people feel like they've had an off year and they've just struggled. And in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that difficulty, in the midst of that hardness, you're kind of left with asking yourself this question. And I think it's an important question and it's this. Is it still worth it to keep on trying? Is it still worth it to keep on keeping on? And that's the question I want to take a look at this morning. I want to take a look at is, how does Jesus comfort us when we get discouraged, when we get into that place where we're asking that question? You know, I think it's actually a neat time to talk about this. It's Palm Sunday, you know. I think everything in our life sounds out good, you know. And, and then what happens is things as time goes on, get worse and they get harder. And that was true with Jesus. He came in, you know, that everybody wanted to be king. Nobody had done more for Israel than Jesus. Nobody was more popular than Jesus. And he was coming into Jerusalem on the Passover. And they thought maybe it was now that he was going to usher in his kingdom. He was going to throw off Rome. I mean, this was the time. We were all behind you, Jesus. But as the days went on, by Monday, Thursday, things had gone terribly wrong. That night he was betrayed. The next day he was crucified. Saturday they didn't know if they could keep on hoping, keep on trusting. They thought it was over. They thought it was done. At a time, and the Sunday right now, the Palm Sunday, they were all excited about Jesus, about who he could be, about what he was. By the end of the week, they didn't know if they could trust hope anymore. So much so that on Sunday, Easter Sunday, even after Jesus rose, the disciples wouldn't. They, they couldn't. They, they didn't know how to believe it, even though some people said they saw him. So to talk about this today, I want to talk to you about a guy named Nehemiah who predated Jesus by, I don't know, several hundred years, 400 or so years. And he had just finished leading a group of Jews back from Babylon where they had been exiled for their sin, for the rebellion against God. But now it was a new day. God was restoring them to Israel. They were about the third group back. They had already rebuilt the temple, which was outstanding, but their city was still vulnerable to really a lot of undue influence from the surrounding areas. And so they were given an edict by the king of, of Babylon at that time, 
who commissioned them to build a wall. So like Jesus, they came back to bunch hurrah, right? The people were excited that they were there. You said we could build a wall. We got a thing from the king saying we can build the wall. Everybody has to bow down to this edict. Everybody has to help us. Nothing can stop us. The surrounding nations didn't want them to build a wall, so they made things difficult. And as time went on, even though everything started off great, after a while, things started to slow down, and they got discouraged. And when we get discouraged, it can be a whole assortment of life. We, we get past that first year in marriage, and sometimes things get difficult. You get to the seven-year itch, and things get almost unbearable. Things get hard in life, not just in marriage, in relationships, at work, you name it. Trying to, to lose the pounds after we turn 40. I mean, it's just rough, right? There's, there's always those points in life where things get difficult. And usually there's four or so reasons. There's more than that, but there's at least these four that I think we fall into that causes the discouragement in our life. In the first one, we find in chapter 4, verse 10, where it says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is given out. I don't know if you've ever been there. You've been trying and trying and trying on the diet. Nothing happens. You just, your willpower starts to go away. You see Oreos uh, on TV and you think, well, maybe I should get some. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever the deal is, you know, you've been working and working on the marriage and no progress seems to be made. Nobody seems to want to yield their pride. And you say, my strength is given out. I, I've run out of energy. I don't have any more to give. And the reality is that so often we just get plain tired. And so it's important for you to understand that one of the greatest causes of discouragement in this life is just fatigue. I have so many people coming into me and saying, Pastor, I'm so discouraged when a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, they're just plain tired. They haven't been sleeping right. They've lost perspective. They're worn out from worry and stress and anxiety and fear. And sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is just simply go to bed. I mean, it's true in our house, right? It's, it's, it's just true. Shakespeare said it's hard to be a philosopher when you've got a toothache. It's hard to be spiritually high when you're physically low. And I'm truly always amazed about how much better things look after a nap. These people in the story, they were tired. They were tired of getting picked on. They were tired of being made fun of. They were tired of being embarrassed. They were tired, and they were threatened. And our text said they had the wall halfway built, which is an extraordinary accomplishment in the amount of days that they had been working. It was amazing. It got the attention of all the surrounding nations who did not want them to build that wall. And they said, we've got to do something. God is with them in this project, and this is insane. They were working with all their hearts. There was a newness. There was an excitement. They were seeing incredible progress. But then something happened. And they started losing their steam. I don't know, maybe their feelings were hurt. Maybe things got too hard. Maybe they just couldn't see the end game or what it was supposed to look like if they kept going. I, I, I don't know, but the text says that they struggled. And then the strength of the laborers gave out. But it wasn't just fatigue that they struggled with. We struggle with other things too. Frustration. We deal with lots of frustration in our life. And the second part of verse 10, it says, and there was so much rubble. They'd been building the wall and there were broken piles of, of mortar lying everywhere. It's kind of like remodeling your house and you start tearing down that wall and all of a sudden your room is filled with stuff and you're like, there's more stuff on your floor mounding up in that room than there was ever on your wall and you don't know how it happened. It's just everywhere. Maybe you stepped on it and you roll your ankle. Maybe you've fallen a couple times, but you're frustrated. 
rubble began to pile up for them too, and pretty soon they're walking over all these different things, and they just ran out of energy. And you run out of motivation, and you get frustrated. There's a lot of people I know that love to start projects that don't like to finish projects. This is where they get frustrated, right? They, they love the tearing down, and they want the end product, but they get frustrated in the in-between. I think these pieces of rubble and, are the trivial things, the time wasters in our life. They're the things that take up so much of our time and energy that it makes it almost impossible to work on what we want to work on in life. Instead of working on my marriage and playing Madden football, instead of working with my kids and spending time with them, I'm praying, playing Madden football. Not that that's a personal example or anything. I'm just saying, you know, instead of working on what we need and know we need to be working on, we get caught up in all this dumb stuff that doesn't matter. And whether it's Madden football or TV or just spending time on the computer or whatever your time waster is, it keeps you from focusing on the most important things. It keeps you from valuing and concentrating on the most important things. And then there was failure in verse 10. It finishes by saying that we cannot rebuild the wall. They're getting discouraged and they're giving up because they feel like they've failed. They've accomplished extraordinary amounts of things. Half the wall has been built in just a few days. But they said, we can't do it. It's impossible. People are mean. They're going to kill us. We were crazy to start this in the first place. There's no way we're going to be able to finish this job. And their confidence went down the drain because they were discouraged. Why? Because they stopped seeing God as a God who was able. That could be the theme verse for so many marriages in our culture today. They stopped seeing God as a God who was able. Able to fix your marriage, able to fix your kids, able to fix your relationship with your neighbor, whatever it is. We stopped seeing God as a God who was able. So they gave up. They made their struggle failure and they cemented it by giving up started feeling like failures, which is the opposite of faith. And so they began to pursue that course. And then finally, there was a lot of fear in verse 11. It said, and also, our, our enemies said, before they see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work, which I guess makes sense. If you're dead, you're not going to continue working too long, right? Maybe not, at least not on this side of heaven. But the reality for Nehemiah is that he had some very real enemies who did not want him to build a wall around Jerusalem. Because then it would fortify the city. It would make them more independent. They would be protected. They would lose their influence. They would lose their power. Israel would become a threat. So the enemies who lived around the edge of Jerusalem were doing everything they could to try to discourage the Jews from building the wall. And so first they criticized them. They said, you don't need to build the wall. We're your buddies. Sure, we have people in your government telling you what to do, but we love you guys. You don't need to build the wall. When that didn't work, they started ridiculing and making fun of them. And they laughed at them as they tried to rebuild the wall. If a fox stepped on it, it would fall down. Probably laughed every time somebody hit their thumb with a hammer. And then finally, after everything else failed, they just threatened them. We'll kill you if you keep building that wall. And so what happened? They became afraid of their enemies. And notice who became fearful first. In verse 12 it says, Then the Jews who lived closest to them came and told us ten times over that wherever we turned, they would attack us. Now, I'll just give you this. This is a lesson. If you constantly listen to negative people in your life, it will infect your life. It just will. If you constantly let the fears of the world falling apart, if you constantly listen to those fears on the internet or from people in your life, and it will infect your life, and you'll start thinking like them. 
If you constantly listen to people around you in your office who are always saying negative things, complaining, are fearful about what's going to happen, it's going to infect your life. Why? Because we begin to pick up their attitudes, their thoughts, and we get to a place where we just get discouraged too. I was talking to the lady the, uh, lady the other day, and she was saying at her work, it's just there's a lot of gossiping, right? And so it trends negative. And when she first got there, it was negative toward the boss, and so she believed everything about the boss that they were saying until she got to know the boss and didn't see any of the evidence for the things that they were complaining in. And then she started, they started getting negative at the clientele there, even though that's why she went into her profession in the first place, to help those people. And she had always loved helping those people and serving them in different ways, but all of a sudden she heard all this negative and she began to kind of find herself falling into that. And so she said, she says, I got a war against falling into the negativity at my job. It's coloring my perspective. It's coloring my opinion. And the reality is, is I don't see any of it. And so she says, I just keep my head down and try to enjoy my work, and I do. But whenever you find yourself surrounded by negativity, even if it's not your issue, it can infect your life. And so we look at Nehemiah, and we see that if anybody had a right to be discouraged, it was this guy. He was assigned a very difficult task to build a whole wall around an entire city. Everybody he was working with was discouraged and negative and just wanted to quit. Plus, there were people threatening to kill him. But I want you to notice what he did. He, he didn't give up. And he wouldn't let the people of Israel give up either. Instead, he focused them on three things that are still, I think, just as applicable today as they were then. And one of the first things he encouraged them to do is reorganize their life. Set up new priorities. Get a perspective. In verse 13, Nehemiah begins. It says, therefore, I stationed. Nehemiah is saying, in light of everything that I just said in the previous verses, in light of the fact that everybody is dead tired, frustrated from all the rubble, feeling like failures because we didn't finish on time, and afraid of the prospect of being killed at any moment, in light of all those four things that cause stress in our life, which cause discouragement in our life, he says this, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and exposed at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And so what did he do? He got the people involved and invested in God's plan. He delegated it all and he reorganized it and said, you know what, we're going to do these in families. Because he recognized that the people needed support, that they couldn't do it all by themselves, that they needed people that they were pulling for and were pulling for them. They needed to be surrounded by people that cared, that wanted this project, that wanted the wall, that wanted the independence, that weren't going to be afraid because they were prepared. So they put them together in families. And that's what the church is supposed to be, a place of, that we find encouragement, a support system for the stresses that we experience in life. And we experience stresses in life. That's why we keep trying to get you to go and get involved in connect groups because you get a smaller family that cares about you. It's why we have Celebrate Recovery on every Friday night to help people with their hearts and habits and, and heartaches that, that, that they're just struggling with. That's why we have church every Sunday, to be honest. It's why we have church at midweek during Lent and Advent because those are big times of years year of the year that people struggle with their stuff. We're trying to be a place that encourages people in the midst of life, and that's what Nehemiah was trying to do for his people, trying to give them a support system to walk through life, because life is hard. And we need to remember that God is good, which kind of just points us to the next point, which is we need to remember the Lord. Verse 14, it says, And I looked things over, and I stood up, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Instead, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, in other words, we, everybody needs to get plugged back into where the power is. 
We need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome and good. Somebody asked me one time, well, how do you do that? And it takes work. I think it takes effort, but you do it by remembering, right? You start by remembering everything that God's done for you in the past. And you say, well, how do I do that? A great way is just counting your blessings, right? We, we hear that. Maybe we do that on Thanksgiving. It might sound trite, but the reality is, is when you start counting your blessings, you begin to realize all that God has done for you and continues to do for you in this life. You begin to realize it gives you a different perspective that life quite, isn't quite as bad as I'm making it out. This part stinks, but this, this 90% over here is pretty good. And it helps us remember that God has been with us and walks with us and will be there in the future. And then I think it goes by remembering that he's, he's just with us right now. Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. It means I won't leave you. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you, he says. In other words, there's no experience that you'll go through in this life that you have to fear because he walks by your side. And so open your eyes and we realize again anew that he's right there with us, which is an incredibly important thing because sometimes we feel all alone. Sometimes we feel like he doesn't see how unfair this is or how unpleasant this is or how not right this is. Sometimes he doesn't, we don't feel like he sees our pain or our struggle, but he does. And he never promises that life won't be hard, but he promises to walk through life with us. And then I think it comes by remembering the future. To remember his promises, with which God always fulfills. To remember him and to get our minds off the discouraging circumstances of the present. To get us to a place where we're focusing again on a God who is able to give us victory, to protect. And then he says, resist the discouragement. In verse 14, it says, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. In other words, don't give up without a fight. And I don't mean the kind of fight that you have in a relationship and then you split, right? I mean fight for your relationship. When did you ever think it was going to be easy? Fight for something that matters. Fight for something that's good. Fight for your kids. The reality is I think we just roll over and play dead too much in our culture. Not you guys. You guys are awesome. But the reality is we need to learn to fight for the things that are important to us. Don't give in to discouragement. Nehemiah is saying this. If you give in to discouragement, it's because you've chosen to give in to it. It's your choice. But the Bible says very clearly that Christians are in a spiritual war. We're in a battle. And there's all kinds of forces trying to complicate and discourage us. And when we forget that, we start playing victim and says, oh, this marriage is just the way it is. We're too selfish. People will never figure it out. You don't remember that Satan's trying to plug everything he can to destroy it. You start looking at your kids and say, it's hopeless. They'll never turn around because you forget that Satan's playing a part in that as well, trying to complicate their life, trying to help them make bad decisions. We've got to start fighting for those relationships in our life that make life worth living. In fact, have you ever had a day, a kind of day, where you woke up in the morning thinking, this is not going to be a good day. And maybe you started having the thoughts, you know, what's wrong with me? But I prayed never, I prayed to tell you, just never, never ask that question because I promised you you'll get an answer. And the only problem is that the answer won't be from God, it'll be from Satan. The Bible says that he is the accuser of Christians and he'll tell you what's wrong with you. And the most frustrating thing about when he answers is that he's always 100% right when he starts accusing us. He knows our weaknesses, he knows all of our mistakes and he doesn't have to make up a thing. It's like the guy who said, I used to think I had an inferiority complex, but then I just realized it was inferior, you know. But the Bible says this in Romans 8.1. It says, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord, if he is your Savior, then it says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when, so when you start finding yourself saying, what went wrong? 
when you start sinking lower and lower because of the frustration and the fear, remember that if you're a Christian, you are because of Jesus forgiven by an amazing God, which is a great place to start. Your past is wiped away. You're not encumbered by the guilt and the, the pressures of the past. And you start asking, well, what does that mean exactly that we have a Jesus that forgives? It means that because of Jesus, you have the uncommon ability to experience what second chances are really all about. To experience the ability to say to your failures, you have no power over me. To say to your fears, you have no power over me. To say to your sins, you have no power over me. And that because of Jesus, we can start over again and again and again. It's kind of like we've just been given an unlimited supply of mulligans. If you play golf, you know what those are. It's when you hit a bad shot and you just don't count it. You put another ball down and you hit again. My buddy says I have an unlimited supply of mulligans sometimes when I play. I, I, I just want to shoot well. <laughs> but the reality is, that imagine God is giving you this unsupply of do-overs in life. He has in Jesus. And what that means for you is that you have in Jesus a God who heals your wounds, who forgives your sins, and who lets you start over again and again and again at life. I think that's one of the great reasons to be excited about Jesus as we look forward to, to Easter. I think that's one of the reasons that we can count on Jesus, put our trust in him, and know that he will be with us as we walk through life. And so today we thank God for Jesus and the amazing grace we find in him. And all God's people said, amen. amen.